0: of Bethlehem and did you notice the last stanza of the first verse says the hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight what do you think the author meant by this Philip Brooks hopes and fears of all the years are met in Bethlehem tonight it's talking about the birth of the Savior so today we're talking about the blessings of Bethlehem fear and hope Turn to Matthew chapter 2, and we'll see the, the hopes of the wise men in Matthew chapter 2. Let's start reading at verse 1, as soon as I find it. Hold on. It says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For he saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. And they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah, for out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called the wise, or the Magi, Determined from them the exact time the star appeared, he sent them to Bethlehem and said, "Go and search carefully for the child. When you have found him, report to me so that I too may come and worship him." After hearing the king, they went their way, and the star, when it had they had seen in the east, went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. After coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. They fell to the ground and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. So here we see the hopes of the wise men. They're hoping to find the king, and they did. Turn over to Luke chapter 2, and here we see the fear of the shepherds. Let's start reading at verse 8. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with an angel a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. So we're going to talk about hope and fear this morning. So let's pray. (coughs) Excuse me. Oh, Father, so thankful for this Christmas message. And the story of the shepherds and of the wise men, Lord, especially about the hope you brought into the world through the birth of your son. That hope was born in Bethlehem. And Lord, now we have this hope, Father. And our fear should be taken away. We should have no fear because if you've come into our life, you've saved us, Father. But there are some who still doubt, some who still fear the future, some whose hope is waning. And we pray we'll be able to strengthen these people this morning with your word, Lord, as we talk about your hope and how you have removed fear. Help me now, Lord, as I teach your word. Help us all to understand it and apply it to our lives. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. When you hear the word hope, it has the idea of certainty, expectancy, it to happen. Like when you say, hope New Year's comes. Well, you expect it to come, right? It's going to come. It's certain it's going to come. That's what hope means, it means certainty. I have one little boy. Let's see if I can find my illustration here. That's a good idea to illustrate what hope is. There's a little boy who was standing in foot of an escalator in a large department store, watching the handrail. He never took his eyes off the handrail. His escalator kept going around and around a salesperson saw him and finally asked him if he was lost. And the little boy says, nope, I'm just waiting for my chewing gum to come back. Just <laughs> should try sometime, see if it does come back. Those are the blessings of Bethlehem. Hope was born. And we're just going to look at some things in Scripture, some Scriptures talk about hope. The first one is found in Proverbs chapter 13, verse 12. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 12. And there is no hope without God. Proverbs 13, verse 12. says, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but desire fulfilled is a tree of life. The idea here is hope deferred brings disappointment. You keep hoping for something, that word deferred means hope that's long drawn out hoping for that paycheck and never shows up or that check in the mail, hoping for a good doctor's report, you're hoping for something but it never comes to fruition and you lose hope. The tree of life refers to the source of life. We get disappointed. Look at Proverbs 3:18 talks about this tree of life. Proverbs chapter 3 verse 18. It says it talks about wisdom here. She is wisdom. She is a tree of life for those who take hold of her. And happy all who hold her fast. It's talking about wisdom. Wisdom is the source of life. And those who attain her, their hope is renewed. The idea here is like the disciples, they experienced hope deferred when Jesus died. Because what were they dreaming of? What were they thinking of and hoping for? The millennium. Here's Jesus. He's the Messiah. He's going to bring forth the millennium. Oh, Judas was planning on spending all the money. He was going to be a treasurer. Then boom, Jesus died and their hope was deferred. They were, they were what's the word to used to describe the disciples? I mean, they were hopeless. They are hiding in a room for fear of the Jews. But when Jesus was resurrected, did it revive them like a tree of life? Yeah. That's the idea with this verse here in Proverbs. Hope deferred brings disappointments. But when you believe and your desires are met, then it's like being a treated life. You, know? you get that check in the mail. How do you feel? Wow. You get a good doctor's report back. How do you feel? Wow, this is great. That's the idea. There is no hope without God. Turn, if you will, to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Let's start reading at verse 12. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ talking about Gentiles and unbelievers excluded from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise having no hope and without God in the world look at verse 18 for through him that's God Jesus we both have our access into one spirit to the father so then you are no longer strangers and aliens but you are fellow citizens with the saints and of God's household So unbelieving Gentiles before salvation, how are they described? Well, they're described without Christ. They're described as aliens and strangers in the world. They're described as without hope, without God. That's how the unbelieving world is. Without God, there's no hope. You see that when you go to their funerals. There's no hope. So hope was born that morning in Bethlehem. And without God, there's no hope. Look at Colossians chapter 1, verse 27. Colossians chapter 1, verse 27. Here we see there's hope, or Jesus, the hope of glory. Colossians chapter 1, verse 27. Let's back up. Verse 25, the last part of verse 25 says, that Paul says, I might fully out the preaching of the word of God, that's the gospel message, that is the mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generations but has now been manifested to his saints. To whom God will to make known what is the riches of the glory of his, this mystery among the Gentiles which is Christ in you the hope of glory. What's the gospel message? It will be in heaven with Jesus forever. The glory of Christ. That's the idea here. That's the gospel message. The hope of Glory. The certainty of glory. The certainty of being in heaven with Jesus Christ. That was a mystery. That wasn't told in the Old Testament. But Paul's now revealing it. The gospel message. The hope of glory. What a glorious day that will be when we get to heaven, right? That's the idea there. Think of all loved ones we haven't passed on this past year. They're now in heaven. Experiencing the glory of Jesus Christ. It brings the hope of eternal glory. So Jesus is the hope of glory. Turn to Hebrews chapter 6. See, our hope is an anchor. Hebrews chapter 6. Look at verse 18. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have taken refuge would have a strong encouragement to take hold of the hope set before us, this hope we have as an anchor of the soul, a hope sure, or both sure and steadfast, and one which enters within the veil. So here we see two unchangeable things. Well, what's the two unchangeable things the writer of Hebrews is talking about? The two unchangeable things is God's promises and God's oath. Look up back up at verse 13. He's talking about the promises made to Abraham. Moses promise? Land, seed, and blessing. And that blessing would be seen when Jesus Christ comes and dies on the cross for our sins because Paul talks about that in Romans. And the oaths God's promise. Those are two things that are unchangeable. God doesn't lie. God keeps his word. Therefore, God's word is like an anchor for us. Our, Jesus is our hope and anchor. He holds us securely, especially during the times of storms. The storms in our lives Jesus is our anchor. The hope for the fulfillment of God's salvation promises us an anchor of the soul. Keeps us secure during the storms of our lives. We can count on God's promises and God's oath. Where are some of God's promises and God's oath? I'll never leave you forsake you. I'll supply you all your needs through Christ Jesus. Jesus is the, our hope, is our anchor. It is certain. How is it described there? Look there again in Verse 19. Hope is both sure and steadfast. It's sure, steadfast, it's certain. Our hope is an anchor. So this coming year, when you're tempted to be blown about by the storms of life, what do we have? We have an anchor. Our hope is an anchor knowing that God is going to take care of us and there should be no doubts in our lives. Let's look at man's four spiritual hopes. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 8. <coughs> 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 8. It says, but since we are of the day, means the light, righteousness, opposed to darkness, which is sin, All right, let us be sober. It doesn't mean not drunk, but again, having a clear mind. Having put on the breastplate of faith and love as, an, as a helmet the hope of salvation when we begin to doubt where's its doubts begin in our head right in our mind we start doubting God so I was talking about faith and love and hope here and hope is the helmet of our salvation look at Isaiah chapter fifty nine, verse seven. Isaiah fifty nine, verse seven. Um, that's verse seventeen. Isaiah fifty nine, seventeen. It says he put on righteousness like a breastplate. And a helmet of salvation on his head. So here we see the helmet of salvation is always associated with salvation. The future aspect of it. We put on the helmet of salvation. The hope or a certainty that we're going to go to heaven when we die. Look at Acts chapter 23 verse 6. Here Paul talks about the hope of the resurrection. Acts chapter 23 verse 6. Paul's on trial here before the Sanhedrin, remember? And why was he arrested? Because he preached about Christ, the resurrected. And the Pharisees were made up of two groups, the Sadducees and the Pharisees. The Sadducees denied the resurrection when the Pharisees believed in it. So look here at verse 6 of chapter 23. Paul says, But perceiving that one group were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, Paul began crying out in the council, Brethren, I am a Pharisee, a son of a Pharisee, and I am on trial for the hope and resurrection from the dead. Because Paul preached that. Jesus was resurrected from the dead. So there's the hope of the resurrection, the certainty of the resurrection. Not only are we certain that Jesus was raised from the dead, but we are certain that we will be raised from the dead as well. The certainty of the resurrection. Look at Titus chapter 2, verse 13. Titus chapter 2, verse 13. It says Looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. It's the hope of the second coming. We know for certain that Jesus is going to return. I believe the rapture is an imminent rapture. It can happen at any moment. Look at 1 John chapter 3. Keep your finger there in Titus. We're going to come back to it. But let's go to 1 John chapter 3. It talks about this hope of Jesus' return as well. The certainty that we believe is going to happen. 1 John chapter 3. Look at verse 2. Beloved, now we are children of God and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed up on him purifies himself just as he is pure. So we have this hope fixed that Jesus is going to return. (coughs) He's going to return with a glorified body, and therefore we are to live pure lives in anticipation of his return. So we have the hope of salvation, the hope of the resurrection, the hope of the second coming. And again, remember, all of the words hope means certainty, expectation. Also, the hope of eternal life. Go back to Titus, look at chapter 1, verse 2. In the hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised long ages ago. Here we have the hope with a firm assurance, the expectation of salvation. This is not wishful thinking. Boy, I hope I go to heaven. No, I know I'm going to heaven. So hope is a certain expectation. And God cannot lie. We already saw that in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 18. Numbers 23, 19 tells us the same thing. God cannot lie. So we have the certainty of salvation, the certainty of the resurrection, the certainty of Christ's coming, and the certainty of eternal life. So therefore, since we have these divine promises and God does not lie, we know that God is going to take care of us. Provides endurance and patience for the life to come. anyone have a problem free 217? Anyone have a problem free last year when they had no problems, no concerns, no worries? Anyone thinks they're going to have a problem free 2018? No. Unless we're going to get raptured tomorrow morning. <laughs> Maybe. But here we have the certainty, right? We can endure whatever may come in our lives because God's going to send them if they happen, right? God's in charge. We have a certainty and hope. So hope was born Christmas morning in Bethlehem. And fear was banished when Christ was born. There's no longer to fear anything. The story of this young couple are planning on getting married, and he had one major fear, one big concern. Let's see if I can find it here. He had a problem with his was, was how's it called? What's called here? He had a a bad foot odor problem. His feet really smelled bad. He was afraid of getting in bed with his wife and her smelling his feet all the time. She said, Dad, I got this fear. My feet really stink. What should I do about it? He said, probably you ought to wash them before you go to bed and put on socks, cover up the odor. He said, great idea, Dad. I'll do that. And the wife-to-be had a fear. She had real bad breath, especially in the morning. She says, "Mom, I'm really afraid that when I get up in the morning, my bathroom grow bad is going to be odious to my husband. What do you, should I do? I'm really afraid about this." Her mother says, "Well, honey, what y'all to need to do is, for wake up when you as soon as you wake up, don't say anything. Go and brush your teeth or take some mouthwash. That's the first thing you do. Go in the bathroom, take care of it. First thing in the morning, that's what you do. It sounds great, Mom. That's what I'll do. Before I even say anything to my husband, I'll run off to the bathroom and, and get taken care of." It's about six months after they've been married. Things are going great. Just before dawn, the husband wakes up and what if his socks fell off? He's scared to death. The wife's going to find out he has stinky feet after six months. So he's frantically looking through the covers trying to find his sock. In the process, he wakes up his wife. His wife looks at him and says, what in the world are you doing? He looks at her and says, oh my goodness, she swallowed one of my socks? Been waiting all year to say that. (laughs) Fear. Don't we all have fears? Right? Fear is banished. Go to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. Jesus came to remove fear. Hebrews chapter 2. Look at verse 14. It says, therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same. That's Jesus. That through death he might render powerless him who has the power of death. That is the devil. And might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. For the believer, we have no fear over death. What does 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty four 54 say? Death is swallowed up in victory. There's no longer fear of death for the believer. The fear of death brings spiritual bondage to unbelievers. They're scared to death what's going to happen. They may put on this facade, this false bravado saying, I'm not afraid of death. It's just a place where I'm going to be partying with all my drinking buds when I get to hell. No, it's not going to be a place like that. People are afraid of dying. For the Christian, there's no longer fear of death. Psalm 23, was how is death described? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. You know what that means? A shadow cannot hurt you. Think about it. Jennifer's in a shadow right now. There's nothing to fear. When you're driving along and a shadow comes, it doesn't hurt you. That's what the psalm means. Shadow of the fear of death. There's no fear in a shadow. It's not going to hurt you Ever. So salvation removes this fear of death that mankind has. We can have peace. Knowing that when we die, what does it say? In a moment we'll be in heaven? Probably less than a second. I mean, boom. As soon as we die, we'll be in heaven. So in a sense, death is probably painless for the believer. You die and you go to heaven. Jesus came and removed the fear of death. No, no reason to be afraid of death. Now we're probably afraid of suffering, you know. But we shouldn't fear death. It's just a shadow that can never hurt us. Let's look at also, look at 2 Timothy 1 7. 2 Timothy 1 7. God has not given us a spirit of fear. Paul says, to Timothy, in 2 Timothy 1.7, For God's not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. Now King James has fear. New American Center has timidity. Now well, that word refers to cowardice. Shameful fear caused by weakness or selfishness. Peter had this fear when he denied the Lord. Think he was cowardly anymore after he saw the resurrected Christ? No, not at all. Believers, we are to fear the Lord in a sense of awe, but we are not to be cowards. Trust God. Look at John chapter 14, verse 27. John chapter 14, verse 27. Jesus says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. So Jesus is in control. We do not have the spirit of fear, we should not have it. Martyrdom may come to our country pretty soon, for all we know. If a certain political party was elected this past year ago, it probably would be a lot closer than it is now. But we shouldn't, our need, there's no need to fear, no need to be a coward, When someone comes and asks us if we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ or die, we're going to say, I believe. I'll be better off in heaven. Look at Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. We all know this verse. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The theme of Proverbs is fear the Lord. That's a starting point for wisdom. Fearing the Lord is the idea that God is watching whatever I do and will either reward me or punish me, reward me for good behavior or punish me for bad behavior. God is watching everything I do. Therefore, since I don't want to be punished, I'm going to do what's right. The book of Proverbs tells us how to live, but to avoid. And that way... We'll be doing okay. You know the fear of the Lord is referenced. A number of times. Job 28. 28. Talks about it. Psalm 111 verse 10. Talks about the fear of the Wisdom is the fear of the Lord. Or fearing the Lord. Proverbs 9 verse 10. Proverbs 15. 33. You can look all these up later. But let's look at the last one. Ecclesiastes chapter 12 verse 13. Ecclesiastes. Chapter 12, verse 13. The conclusion when all has been heard is fear God and keep his commandments because this applies to every person. We've got to bring every act to judgment. Everything which is hidden, whether it's good or evil. So we are to fear God. Not the idea that we're scared of death of God. You know, I was scared of death of my dad. I'm afraid he's going to beat the whatever out of me. And that's not the kind of fear. It's the idea is reverence, respect, the fear of the Lord. We respect God. We reverence Him. And wisdom is not acquired by mechanical formulas, but through a right relationship with God. Notice the progression we see. If we would read all these verses, the fearing the Lord, there's a progression. First it talks about the teaching of God. Then it talks about learning about God. We apply this teaching to our lives. Then we do fear God. We respect him, revere him. And when we do that, we get to know God. You know that God isn't a mean, vengeful God who wants to smack you around the first time you do something wrong. But as a loving God who wants to protect you. When your children run out on the street, you grab them and you spank them and say, no, why? Because you don't want them running out there and getting hurt. So you discipline them. God disciplines us because he loves us. And we know more about God. And then we start imitating God's wisdom. And wisdom is skill for living. That's the easy definition. Skill for living. You want to know how to live this life? You read a book of Proverbs. You get wisdom from God. So you read about God, the teaching, you learn about God, you fear God, you know God better, then you imitate God. And when you know someone better, you're not afraid of them anymore, you know? Let's see, let's go back to uh, Proverbs chapter 1. Goodness. Hold on. I'm almost there. It says, Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Fools are easily led, gullible, silly persons. They're both mentally naive and morally irresponsible. Doesn't mean they're stupid. Doesn't mean they're dumb. They're easy led, they're gullible, silly persons. They act foolishly. They're mentally naive and morally irresponsible. Look at Psalm 14.1. What does it say about the fool? Oh, almost there. The fool has said in his heart, there's no God. They are corrupt. They have committed abominable deeds. There is none who does good. Read the same thing in Psalm 53, verse 1. Foolish people don't believe in God. That's why April 1st is a fool's holiday. They're foolish. How many people in the world today despise God? Think Christians are the fools? But who is the real fool? And you look at these unsaved people. Aren't they mentally naive? Gullible? They believe anything the media tells them? They're morally irresponsible. They do whatever they want to do. Doesn't matter. When we have the wisdom of God and we apply it to our lives, we have skill for living, and therefore we are not fools. There are four spiritual fears. Look at Psalm 55, verse 4. Psalm 55, verse 4. David says, My heart is in anguish within me, and the tears of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling come upon me, and horror has overwhelmed me. David's afraid of death. Going to battle and the attack of the enemy brought fear to David. Who knows? We don't know when this psalm was written. Oh yeah, when the Ziphites came, the psalm. So we no, that's I'm sorry, I'm looking at the wrong psalm. Not Psalm 54. But Psalm 55, we don't know when that was written. And it was written after Absalom. Who knows? David was afraid of dying. See, that word terrors? The terrors of death. He afraid of death. Fear and trembling, says in verse 5, come upon him, horror has overwhelmed him. That word horror could also be translated darkness. The idea here is that horror or fear encompasses him like a cloak would cover a person. He felt overwhelmed, like claustrophobic, wrapped around in darkness and terrors in a guide of his life. When you are overcome by fear, do you make sound judgments? It's like being wrapped in a dark cloth? You can't see nothing. You're wrapped in darkness, you're trying to make wise decisions. You can't because you're afraid of what might happen. It keeps us from living for the Lord or for ourselves or anyone. That word, big word, if. So many people are afraid of the word if. You know, what if this happens? Well, you don't know what's going to happen, do you? That's where you trust the Lord. We're not afraid of tomorrow or whatever might happen tomorrow. Also, in Hebrews 2:15, we've talked about this before. We are not to fear death. Look at Luke chapter 21. Luke 21. The fear of Jesus' return. Some men are scared of death of the return of Jesus. <coughs> Luke 21. Look at verse 25. Jesus is talking about the end times. Matthew 24 and 25 is Jesus' Olivet Discourse where he talks about the end times. We're here in Luke chapter 21 when Jesus gives a sermon on the end times. It's very interesting. You read Revelation chapter 6. It describes this fear. Verse 25, Jesus says, There will be signs in the sun and moons and stars, and on the earth dismay among the nations, and perplexity at the roaring of the sea and the waves, men fainting from fear and the expectation of the things which are coming upon the world. For the powers of heaven will be shaken, or of all of the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Jesus speaks of these phenomena that are going to happen in the future during the sixth seal. All these terrors are going to happen. We're going to, I've been studying Revelation now, and one of these days when you do know Daniel, we're going to talk about Revelation on Sunday nights. And the first four seals are what humans bring upon the earth. Chapter six, or seal number six deals with what God starts doing on the earth. Sun is darkened, earthquakes, all kinds of terrible things are happening. This is what Paul is describing right now, what happens during the sixth seal. And the, the trumpets and the bowls haven't come yet. It's even going to get worse. That first seal, that sixth seal, says one-fourth of the earth's population is going to die just from that sixth seal. That's 1.5 billion people are going to die. Men are going to be scared to death. They're afraid. They're going to see all these things happening Sun getting dark, earthquakes, volcanoes, comets, asteroids hitting the earth, all kinds of terrible things. And the result of their fear is panic. Revelation 6 says these people are going to pray that the rocks will fall on them. That's how afraid they are. Let's just look at that. We got time. Oh, good, we got all kinds of time. Let's go to Revelation chapter 6. I'm just glad for the rapture. I'll be gone. But there are people who are going to experience this. Look, look at this. Verse 12. Revelation 6. John says, I looked and he broke the sixth seal. That's Jesus the lamb breaking the sixth seal. And there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth and made of hair, and the whole moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as fig trees cast its unwrapped figs shaken by a great wind. And the sky was split apart like a scroll when it is rolled up, and every mountain and island removed out of their places. Then the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the commanders, and the rich, and the strong, and every slave, and free man, hid themselves in the caves, and among the rocks, and the, the mountains. Now those earthquakes, the mountains are falling apart. Where's the last place you gonna go hide? Yeah, <laughs> that's where they're going. And they said to the mountains, and to the rocks, fall on us, and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne of the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come. And who is able to stand? They're calling to Mother Nature to save them. The scribes do people, right? They don't believe in God, but they believe in Mother Nature. So there's a fear of Jesus' return. And they're panicked, they're afraid of what's going to happen. And that day is going to happen sometime soon. And thankfully, those who know Jesus Christ, will not be a part of it, will be raptured. We'll be in heaven. Look at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 27. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 27. Again, talking about judgment. Look at verse 26. <coughs> Excuse me. For if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth. There is no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. Is this a person who keeps on rejecting the gospel message, I believe? They know the gospel message; they keep rejecting it. There no longer remains a sacrifice for sin, but a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of fire, which will consume the adversaries. Wow! Fear of Judgment Day. What the writer of Hebrew describes here is similar to what we read in Isaiah twenty six eleven. We don't have time to look at it. Or Zephaniah chapter 1 verse 18. I'll talk about this coming judgment. Notice what he says here. A fury of fire which will consume the adversaries. Those who deliberately reject Jesus. Only judgment remains. A furry fire or a raging fire. or A fire of indignation. Is a fire that literally consumes. Devours. Those are against Jesus. Judgment's coming. And his fire does not destroy the body. Can you imagine spending eternity? You know how much fire hurts, burns hurt? You just get a little burn on your finger and it's terrible. Can you imagine feeling that for all of eternity? And look at verse 31. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of a living God. And it goes together with what he says in verse 27. You reject Jesus, judgment's coming. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of a living God for punishment. But it's a blessed thing to fall into God's hands for blessing, right? Wow. Fear judgment. And they may say, I don't fear hell at all. I'm going to spend my time with my buddies as my brother Scotty thought. Using the Black Sabbath, drinking, taking drugs. I'll just be in hell with all my drinking buddies having a good time. No, Scott, I'm sorry to disappoint you, but it's not going to happen. He died when he was 34 years old, and I assume that's where he ended up. Fear of judgment. It's also a fear of hell. Look at Matthew 10, verse 28. Matthew chapter 10, Verse 28. Hold on. I'm in the wrong chapter. Let me find it first. Matthew 10, verse 28. What does Jesus tell us? Do not fear those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both the soul and the body in hell. Persecutors will come and they only harm the body they cannot hurt the soul. In God's judgment, it's both the body and the soul. Nothing a persecutor can do will endanger the soul of a man. They can harm our body, yeah. But we'll be in heaven. We are fear God. We can judge both body and soul. Look at James chapter 4, verse 12. James. Chapter 4, verse 12. There's only one lawgiver and judge. And who's that? God. The one who's able to save and to destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Only God has the right to judge people. God will. The word hell there in Matthew refers to the lake of fire as Gehenna. A place where non-believers will be condemned for the final judgment. Look at Revelation chapter 20. Revelations chapter 20. Verse 14. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. And this is the second death. The lake of fire. first death is dying. second death is being thrown into the lake of fire. We're told believers do not have to fear the second death. If anyone's name is not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So Hades and hell is different from the lake of fire. So those are all the, the fears. Hope was born and fear was banished. Look at my closing thought. Life without Jesus is a hopeless end. With Jesus is an endless hope. Oh. Nope. I've heard of the diary of Anne Frank. Have you ever read the book? Interesting book. You should read it. You should get your kids to read it, grandkids to read it. Get a good present. In the Darvan Frank, young Anne describes the fear she and her family felt as they hid, huddled in a small attic from the Nazis. Every scream of Gestapo sirens sent chills of fear down their spines. They lost their breath at every knock at the front door. They lived in constant horror locked be- behind locked doors fearing for their lives. Their fear was well-founded. They weren't even allowed to look out the window. They weren't allowed to open the windows in the middle of summer. Because someone may look up and see the blind move, or the curtain move, and think someone's hiding up there. And they go on and make his application. Fear causes the disciples to huddle together in that room for protection. Surely they had heard the news by now, the news about the tomb being empty. Yet even the news of the empty tomb and Jesus' resurrection had not transformed their spirits. Their rooms became a prison. Fear kept them inside. Fear drove them to lock themselves up to protect their lives. And that's what fear does in the life of an unbeliever and a believer. Are you locked up in the room of fear? Let Jesus break that lock. Fear is banished. There is nothing to fear because God is in control. Right? There's nothing to fear. Now fear the policeman if you're speeding down the freeway. Yeah, fear him and step on the brakes. Slow down. But really, there's nothing to fear because God is in control. Let's pray. (coughs) Father, we're just so thankful, Lord, how you protect us and meet our needs. We're thankful, Lord, that uh, hope was born that morning in Bethlehem sent your son to be our savior you have banished fear there's no reason to fear Lord because you are in control you love us and you'll provide for us you made these promises and as we learned that you did not lie your promises are sure and you keep your oaths Lord I pray for the person here this morning Father that maybe they're shut up in the prison of fear they're afraid of what might happen maybe they've had a financial setback Lord or maybe you've unfavorable doctor's report. Or something happened this past few weeks with problems in the family or the friend and fear has locked them in. And I just pray, Lord, that it will turn to you. There's no need to be locked in a room of fear anymore because you have banished fear from our lives. Lord, I pray we'll be strong and bold this coming year to preach forth the word of christ the gospel message i pray father that we will endeavor to trust you this coming year even knowing that troubles may come and trials and temptations but lord you can deliver us from all of them people think about these things we go our way home this morning morning lord again father give us ample opportunity to be a witness Let us come to contact with a person this week that we can bring to church next Sunday morning. And we're just so thankful for all this, Lord. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing, Go Tell on a Mountain, that Jesus Christ is Born. night. Behold, throughout the heavens there shone a holy light. Go tell it on the mountain over the hills and everywhere. Go tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is born. The shepherds here Low above the earth, rang out the... talking about hope next week. So plan on coming. There's all these calendars up here. Looking for a pen. There we go. You're going to come get your book. When you get your book and it has PD beside your name, scratch it out. Okay. So I know you've taken the book and take a calendar and take a pocket calendar and um, got tonight off. Go home. Spend time with your family. We'll hopefully we'll see you on Wednesday night. Dave, dismiss us in prayer, please.